This is State of Water. This is State of this Water. This is State of Water. This is State of Water. State of Water coming at you right now. State of Water, a podcast focusing on clean water issues and their relationship to policy, equity, community, and climate. Featuring captivating interviews with Michiganders from many walks of life, State of Water is the official podcast of the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan, a program of the nonprofit organization Title Track. Hey, this is Jenny from Title Track. If you resonate with what you're about to hear, put those feelings into action. Take the first step toward getting involved by going to titletrackmichigan.org slash contact to sign up for our mailing list. Welcome back, friends. Thanks for lending your ears. We are really excited to share this episode featuring a very special return guest to State of Water. Monica Lewis-Patrick is CEO and co-founder of We the People of Detroit and has worked tirelessly on water justice issues for years in Detroit, as well as being an effective advocate at the state and federal levels for water affordability and human rights. She was our guest in episode 14 of State of Water and now returns in episode 37 with more insight and info to share, reflecting on her organizing experience opposing water shutoffs during the COVID-19 pandemic, the importance of engaging both on the ground community building as well as policy work her approach to engaging and empowering young activists, and much, much more. Her commitment to this work is truly contagious, and we hope that you'll be inspired as much as we are by this wonderful leader. Make sure to visit the links in the episode show notes to learn more about We the People of Detroit and sign their water affordability pledge, as well as to check out some recent press appearances of Monica, including an op-ed in the national publication Common Dreams, an interview with Great Lakes Now, and a TV appearance on the Weather Channel. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. Please follow, subscribe, and review the podcast. That helps us reach more folks. And shout out to those sharing the highlight video clips that we're sharing on the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan and Title Track social media. Thank you so much. All right, let's dive into this wonderful conversation between State of Water host Seth Bernard and Monica Lewis-Patrick. Monica, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today. How are you? I am uh, extremely grateful and doing well. And it's always a pleasure to be with you and the family. Thank you. So last time we talked, it was spring of 2020, and you were working hard to lift the shutoffs uh, in the wake of the beginning of the COVID pandemic. and. Um, you worked with Congresswoman Tlaib and others to successfully do so um, during that critical time. And we haven't spoken on the podcast since then. And I know there's a lot of really important work being done with with you and we, the people of Detroit, uh, leading the way around affordability, uh, water equity and affordability, you know, uh, looking forward. So would love to just catch up with you and, and hear how things have been going, um, you know, over the last couple of years and, and what's happening right now. No, definitely, Seth. Thank you so much for the question. 
Mm-hmm. Well, what what we all know is that, of course, in 2020, we were still in the in the throes of a global pandemic. Uh, we were uh, fighting hard to bring to the not only our local uh, governmental officials here in Detroit, but to the attention of our governor and also the national administration that we could not continue to face a global pandemic successfully and continue the shutting off of water. Uh, and so, so grateful for the leadership of the Honorable Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib and the great Debbie Dingell. Uh, both of those women were a North Star on the national stage uh, in working with other congressional leaders and the CDC to really get a, a commitment from the CDC in terms of a statement uh, that their opinion was that water needed to be restored and their recommendation was that uh, there needed to be a national moratorium on shutting off water, uh, especially based on the fact that all persons, uh, regardless of their background or uh, academic accomplishments, uh, understand at a visceral level that washing your hands and properly being able to sanitize and clean your home and prepare your food is really based on having access to clean, safe, and affordable water. And so uh, we're super excited to see not only uh, the mayor of the city of Detroit, but our governor, uh, be some of the first in the nation to really enact a, a moratorium. Uh, but of course, what we know is that after the fear began to wane, uh, the numbers began to go down as it related to COVID, then many people, legislators and policy persons and utility operators reverted back to the bad practices of shutting off water and uh, putting people and families in harm's way. Yeah. So here we are now in this potent moment, kind of still trying to reemerge from the pandemic. And um, we, the people are, are on the forefront once again, raising awareness. And one of the things that I love about you, admire about you, one of the many things that inspires me is your ability to do this frontline community care work that is, you know, direct action, direct contact with community members, and then also to do this policy work that can be arduous and, you know, it's bureaucratic, but it's also necessary. And a lot of, a lot of groups kind of pick one lane or the other. Um, but I see you doing both consistently. So I'm wondering what's going on right now and how people can help. Oh, definitely. Well, a couple of things are happening right now. Uh, It has been that informed frontline work that has really guided our policy work, our legislative work. Uh, It was the knowledge of understanding that as the water department, Detroit Water and Sewage Department, was telling the world at a national and state level that they had actually successfully solved the issue of unaffordable water in Detroit and that they were no longer seeing massive numbers of households shut off, that even during the global pandemic, we were having to do uh, citizen science uh, to be able to bring that kind of scientific rigor to the forefront. So it was people like the Professor Emily Koodle, who is one of the co-coordinators of our Community Research Collective, where she was able to actually map out the water shutoff data that we had collected over the years. And then she was able to lay over top of that where we were seeing the most COVID deaths in the city of Detroit. And we were able to debunk the myth that it was just somehow a bunch of old Black people dying from COVID. But it was really those communities 
and those families and persons that had lived in those neighborhoods and zip codes that ex experienced the most shutoffs that were also having the most challenges in navigating a global pandemic. Mm -hmm. I think it was also the work that was done by Dr. Nadia Gaber, who is a has a, a PhD in medical anthropology and also is an MD. And Dr. Gaber was able to use her expertise and we were able to do a door-to-door -door campaign across the, uh, the city uh, that really used the CASPER, which is the CDC's uh, formula for being able to assess a natural disaster. We were able to use that same formula to assess a man-made disaster. And of course, we were able to get our research uh, published in the Oxford Journal of, uh, of Public Health uh, when we could not get one medical journal in the U.S. to even acknowledge the work. Mm. So that information coming out in 2020 was also a critical point of really shifting conversations between frontline and policymakers. And then, of course, you and I both belong to an amazing national group of water and environmental and, and uh, climate justice advocates and workers and policy experts and attorneys with PolicyLink. And the work at that table has been critical because it has been a part of connecting not only what's happening on the front line on a national level, but then getting down into that granular level of impacts. And so that kind of connectivity uh, from what has happened with us at We the People of Detroit and our partners locally with our partners at the state level and then also nationally, uh, the, that kind of intentionality, that kind of threading and weaving together of community-centeredness has created a monumental shift in how people are talking about an issue that you and I both know for over a quarter of a century was one that was just relegated to just being poor, not being able to pay your bills, uh, narratives around people just needing to pull up themselves by their bootstraps. Uh, all kinds of verbiage that we know is really anti-people and, and anti the conditions that they're living in. And so the beauty of it has been since 2018, we've been working with Freshwater Future and National Wildlife Federation and the University of Michigan's law school uh, to do a couple of things. We have been working to build um, a policy that was based on the 10-point must-haves of the water affordability plan that we've created. Uh, it consisted of over 40 groups from across the state of Michigan, many of them big greens and frontline groups. And if you go to our page at We the People of Detroit, you'll see the water pledge there. We're asking people to take that pledge, read it, because it's really a valued center approach to making sure that community has the water that they need. Uh, we, we make sure businesses do, and we make sure corporate interest is protected. But we don't do that same level of advocacy with the kind of intentionality that this policy is speaking to with community. Uh, the second piece of that has been the work that we've done, not only around building out the legislative uh, remedy, but then we did research. And what we did is we contracted with Moonshot Missions, which is an expert uh, contracting or consulting firm in the areas of how utilities should operate and what equity and justice looks like from a utility standpoint. And so what we were hearing, Seth, is that utilities continued to say they would make these dismissive statements like, oh, you people don't understand how complicated rate structures are. Oh, you people just don't get it. It's very complicated. 
And so we decided to demystify it. We decided to go to some of the same experts, some of their peers that know this issue, know the complexity of it, but also are deeply concerned about the equity and justice component. And so thank God for Andy Crooked. And Andy and I have been, been friends for quite a while. We met each other on the battlefield working for water justice. And they were willing to step up to the plate, and we were able to actually put out a report in November. And what that report says, says, is that we took a state perspective. We looked at the economic feasibility of enacting a water affordability policy for the entire state. Because what we found out, and we talked about this often, is that much of the issue around water affordability has been relegated to the urban core. But thank God for Jan Reed and the research that was done with the University of Michigan and Wayne State. I mean, excuse me, with uh, Michigan State back in 2020, because what that research demonstrated is that we have seen water rates increase in the city of Detroit. Uh, If you just look at since the late 80s until now, water rates have gone up in Detroit over 258 percent. And that's a very conservative number. Uh, When you look at Flint, water rates have gone up. They're paying some of the highest rates in the nation, currently 320 percent. But when you look at across the state of Michigan, water rates have increased 188 percent across the board. Mm. And so what that said to us is that we had to change how we talked about water affordability. We had to stop just talking just Detroit and the struggles of Detroit and really begin to talk through the lens of a state remedy for water affordability. And so we're super grateful for other partners that have come to the table, like Progress Michigan and Michigan LCD, uh, and of course, uh, Mothering Justice. And then, of course, you have a, a just a litany of amazing local groups like Wisdom Institute and Redeem Detroit. And of course, we're talking with labor unions. And so folks get it, especially in Michigan, the Great Lake State that we cannot continue to tout ourselves as the Great Lakes state and sit on one-fifth of the world's fresh water and still have these very glaringly egregious acts of denying the residents of the state of Michigan access to water. And so I'll stop there because, you know, this thing gets me fired up, Seth. I love it. I love, I love the passion and the strategy you know it's contagious you know the energy that you bring and the clarity that you bring in the way that you're able to speak through this stuff and you know what i'm hearing is like you're going through the steps and it's it's not all fun you know it's not always fun to have to look through the to to meet people where they're at uh so policymakers um to to meet people at the local and state level to give economic solutions but really, the the fun part is this community building, this piece of like building these coalitions and working with other groups. You meet people who have so much compassion in their hearts, determination, uh, tools. You know, when I, when I do this movement work, I connect with people who have tools that I don't necessarily have. And I learn from them who are taking uh, approaches that maybe myself and my my group or my colleagues haven't haven't taken or haven't thought of. So you've been doing this coalition building and have this litany of partners who are effective and some real, real breakthroughs are taking place and, um, and it's absolutely necessary. And so you, you, you give these beautiful shout outs to these partners, scientists, um, you know, researchers, 
uh, community organizers. We have data, we have analytics. Um, and, and a lot of it also is, is telling the story, right? Um, making sure people understand. So one question, you know, for, to help educate our listeners is, is what framework do you use to assess affordability? Mm, okay. Well, for us, affordability is that if your water, uh, your drinking and sanitation uh, should not cost you more than 4.7% of your income. And what we know in places like Detroit and in uh, Benton Harbor and uh, in Highland Park and Flint uh, and in many of our communities, people are paying anywhere from 5 to 10 percent or up to 25 percent of their income to access water, which we know that when people are under those kinds of constraints, they're making not an and decision, but an either or decision. Yes. So they're to decide if I pay this water bill, then I may not be able to get my medicine or I may have to cut back on food or I may not be able to pay the light bill or I, I've got to get to work. Can I put gas in that tank to keep getting to that job so that my hope is that eventually I can make enough money to meet my obligation? And what we know is the biggest fear for many persons in the state of Michigan is that we have laws on the books that say if you don't have running water in your house, for 72 hours, which is three days, then you can lose your children, custody of your children. Right. And the place that we've only seen this play out in a very vicious and violent way has been in the city of Detroit. And so it's a real fear. And what we know is that many times when we look at the blight factor in the city, we know that based on charts and mapping and data analysis, that many people fled their homes, not because they wanted to avoid uh, any responsibility for their property, they were fearful of having their children removed from them. Yeah. Uh, we saw the same thing during the pandemic because people got to remember, it took months for Detroit Water and Sewage Department to restore water. And even then, we believe that they were undercounting how many people really needed water restored. Uh, and so for us, it became um, sort of another place of our vigilance and advocacy to point out their inconsistencies on that particular issue. Uh, and we were super grateful for persons like the work that was done at Planet Detroit and um, and done by, you know, Steve Nevelin and uh, uh, Mr. Curse and just so many amazing reporters that would not let it go, that they knew that the water department was not being accountable nor transparent. And so it was that kind of down in the trenches work, uh, investigative reporting that kept the story alive. And then, like I said, with our partners at PolicyLink, they were able to help amplify it to a national conversation in terms of op-eds and the Water Hub and others being able to lift those stories and those voices of frontline folks that were most impacted. Thank you. So something I wanted to bring up to you that comes up a lot, you know, talking to um activists who've been been at it for a while who've been in the trenches for a long time is the need to engage young folks with our organizations and with these movements and i know that this has been in your heart and on your mind a lot in in recent years so i'm, I'm wondering if you can share some approaches that you take to youth engagement oh wow uh we the people of detroit well first of all my background has been uh 12 years of working in special education, uh, spent another eight years heading up a mobilized crisis unit for 
eight counties where we were servicing youth that were having some kind of psychiatric emergency. Uh, and so uh, it was really my own child calling me out in a meeting, a public meeting, where we were meeting as water advocates with water advocates from Flint. And we had several of our children over at the commons over in a corner, sort of doing their homework and, and just sitting there waiting for us to finish their, our meeting. And at the end of the meeting, I said, is there anything else that anyone else has to say before we close out our meeting? And my daughter, being my daughter, <laughs> stood up and said, Mama, we have something to say, that we're the kids in the room and we've been sitting over here in this corner uh, while you grownups are having a meeting, but nobody's asked us how we feel about water injustice and water inequity. And we know how it feels because we go to school with people who we know they don't have water in their homes and they're showering at school. And we know people that are afraid to touch water because they lived in Flint and their skin has been burned and they are afraid. And they were saying to us in that moment that they had a voice and there were things that they could do. And so as a parent, I think we all entered the conversation wanting to figure out how we could protect them, how we could shield them from these harms. And what we had to recognize in that moment is they had already been harmed. So we weren't shielding them from anything. Mm. And so we, the people of Detroit, the five founders, myself and the four other women that founded the organization, uh, that meeting happened on like a Tuesday or Wednesday. That Saturday morning, we met and put together $4,000 of our own money. There was no funders. We, the people of Detroit, wasn't even a nonprofit at that time. So we put up our own money, $4,000, to create a four-week program for youth to be able to begin to expose them to the water conversation, to the water uh, policies issues, and also to other community leaders that were working on the issue. And it was through their eyes and through their coaching what we've told them every year is that can you help us be better at helping young people be in movement work? So throughout our four-week summer intensive social justice program, water has always been at the core of that, but they've always had the latitude to connect it to homelessness, to, to connect it to other kinds of structural violence. And Seth, I can tell you, every year they've never disappointed us. They always show us a depth of their humanity they always show a depth of their intentionality, of how they care for one another, uh, how they're interested in ways to improve policy and justice issues. But in 2018 is when really when the switch was clicked for us. In 2018, if you recall, over 100 schools were shut down in Detroit because of lead toxicity. And we had just, uh, at the school year started in October, uh, you know, September going into October, that's when this issue came up. And so the young people that we had worked with that previous summer, they called me to a meeting. I was summoned by them to a meeting. And I get to the meeting and there's about 20 young people in the room and there is a gentleman there who's an attorney. And so I get to the room, I sit down, and what they begin to tell me is, Mama Monica, you told us we didn't have to ask permission to save ourselves. You told us to deputize ourselves. You told us to not wait to be asked into movement work, but to find our path and begin to go to work. And Seth, I had. I had told them all of that. Mm -hmm. And so they began to tell me how they had come up with a strategy where they were going to use school count day as a way to protest 
their concerns about water quality in their schools and the shutting off of water. And what they wanted me to do is to work with them to support them, to provide resources and money and adult support. And then they also wanted us to take the Community Research Collective of We the People of Detroit and help them design a water testing project. And we did. And so they spent about five to six weekends collecting water. And what we found out was a couple of things. One, they brought the lawyer to educate me on what the law was pertaining to school count day. Because I had a heart attack almost in the meeting. I began to say, oh, wait a minute. All of you are some of the brightest students in Detroit. You can't jeopardize your future. So the very thing that I had coached them on, I began to coach them against because the mama of me began to kick in. And all I was thinking about was their future. And one of them stood up. I'll never forget it. Rejoice. And she said, Mama Monica, she said, we have no future if we don't have water. Yeah. We have no future. And that baby's comment was so profound in that moment, Seth. It shut me down. And you know, it's hard to shut me down. (laughs) And so I said to them, I said, you're right. And so we began to organize. We drove them to the places they needed to go. And what we did, we mapped out. And they could not test the water in their schools because it would not have been able to cut legal mustard. But they were able to test the water at the homes around their schools to get a gauge on what the quality of water was in the neighborhood. And then that opened their eyes up to the water affordability issue. Mm -hmm. And then they were able to mobilize a school walkout on school count day. And then as the media wanted to bring a negative lens to it, guess what they did, Seth? They organized a teach-in. So while people thought that they were just using it as a way to lay out of school, they organized a teach-in that lasted eight hours long. They brought in some of the greatest elders and water and social justice advocates in the city. They did an all-day teach-in with youth and intergenerational leadership. And shortly after that, uh, I think they ended up on the front page of the New York Times. Wow. And then Governor Gretchen Whitmer decided that it just made sense to formulate a task force to look at lead and water quality in schools. And so I always give those young people credit because it was their vigilance. It was their activism. None of them were even of voting age, but they changed policy and they changed practice in terms of that one particular point. And so it's been through that collective learning that we've been able to glean. I, I think we learn much more from them than I even think they learn from us. Uh, we're learning how to be in community in a deeper way. We're learning how to be collaborative thinkers. Uh, we have now invested in something called the Great Lakes People of Color Water Policy Center, where we're bringing together BIPOC leaders from all over the Great Lakes to Idlewild, where we're spending about a week immersed in the seven principles of how to be able to rebuild community around equity and justice as it relates to water. Mm. And water is catalytic because what it helps us do is see how we may have a different water crisis, but water is not the enemy. It is the conditions in which man has treated or mistreated water. But we also found that 70% of Black people don't swim because we've been denied access to water in a joyful way, in a renewative healing way. And so we've incorporated water sports and the spirit of water and water policies and 
art and spoken word as it relates to water. So building out a, a template that would allow young people that anything that they could envision, imagine, or dream of in terms of justice and equity, that they can go through this pathway of water. And then, of course, in the last two weeks, uh, we have opened up uh, our component, well, what we're calling the Innovation Lab. And it is part of our youth programming at We the Youth of Detroit. Uh, we, Seth, since 2020, we have put 10 uh, tech, tech labs across the Great Lakes with BIPOC groups. We have put three tech hubs in, Flint, in Toledo with uh, Junction Coalition and the great Dr. Alicia Smith. We have put an expansive uh, media production and uh, streaming capacity in the Flint Community Lab. And what we know was significant about that is that as we're replacing lead lines all across the state, people still don't trust the water coming out of their tap. And so it's a way to restore trust if you can help communities see through a lab that is community-driven and centered and that they can actually visually watch their sample go through the testing process. It helps them return to the tap as opposed to going and reverting to bottled water. We want people to go back to water, but they have to know that the water coming out of their faucets is clean, safe, and affordable. And then the last thing I'll say before I stop is that innovation center in our basement, which I want you to come and bless it, it has the capacity where they have four 3D printers, they have an animation station, they have a gaming station, and they have a full music and media production studio. Wow. So we're over here fired up about young people. And one of the young people told, told me a few years ago, she said, Mom, Monica, if the old people would just get out the way, the youth are leading. So I'm mm -hmm. taking at her word uh, and we're building it. And we're also building and shifting in terms of our uh, secession planning. You know, it is my plan to not be in the position as the CEO uh, within the next four to five years or less. Uh, and then the leadership uh, is one where we have uh, grown from the five founders. We now have three full-time employees. We have uh, 19 contracted uh, teammates. And the majority of those, I would say 98% of them are 35 and under. Wow. We just hired three youth coordinators. All of them are 25 and under. So we are moving with intentionality. I'm the youngest founder and I'm 58. Our oldest founder is 93. And we are determined that this work and this institutional uh, work that we've built will not die with us, uh, that we are transferring and, and handing off uh, to what we're calling We the People of Detroit 2.0. And then we have a group of young people that are 12 to 21. That's We the People of Detroit 3.0. And then several of our teammates are pregnant. So we even have We the People of Detroit 4.0. <laughs> wow. So inspiring. Monica, thank you so much for your time today, for all the work that you do. Um, it's always enlightening. And um, there's so many dimensions to the work of We the People of Detroit. This last piece is so inspiring. I think it's it's important for all of us, you know, in the, in the second half of our careers as activists to sort of look at how we can uh, not only plan for succession, but talk about it with the people that we're working with, talk with the younger folks in our organizations, in our communities. 
um, and really, you know, pass that leadership, build shared power and, and follow through with passing it along. And um, so much for people to learn. They can go to the website. They can follow you on social media um, and, you know, just keep up the good work. And, and, and I wish you all the best blessings to you and your family. Thank you so much, Monica. Thank you so much, Seth. And I, I just want to say to you and all of your listening audience, what a treasure you have been. Uh, all of these years in terms of continuing to lift frontline, most impacted community persons, connecting the dot with what is happening at a local, state and national level, uh, and then using your artistic abilities, your music and spoken word and poetry and all of those creative senses uh, to really bring people in to work that sometimes they may not see themselves connected to or involved in. And so I just want to applaud you. Uh, many of us people wouldn't even know who we are or the work that we do if not for people like you. Oh, thank you so much, Monica. Well, I'll see you in the Innovation Center. Let's make another track. Together. Oh, please, Seth. You got to come. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll be there. And I was just talking to my team about I would love to bring them up sometime to see your farm. Yes, let's do it. Let's plan on it. Okay. We love it. We love it. Thank you so much thank for thinking you. Absolutely. We'll talk again soon. Much love. Love you, Seth. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. State of Water is powered by the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan. This campaign represents an opportunity to help place clean water issues front and center by partnering with environmental organizations across the state, by educating voters, and by urging every candidate running for public office to make a strong stand on critical issues affecting Michigan's waters. Using storytelling and music events across the state to amplify the groundswell of public support for clean water issues, this campaign is driven by Michiganders from all walks of life who share a similar priority, protection of our water. Both State of Water and the Clean Water Campaign are programs of the Michigan-based nonprofit Title Track. Their mission, engaging creative practice to build resilient social ecological systems that support clean water, racial equity, and youth empowerment.